The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Storytelling inspires, engages, and moves people to action. It's a superpower that anyone can learn. Welcome to Story Powered with your host, Leanne Pico. Stories can hold you back, and stories can move you forward. Let our program help you activate your storytelling superpower and take your business to the next level. Now, here is Leanne Pico. Hello, and welcome to Story Powered. So glad to have you here today. Um, I'm really looking forward to this show because it is going to be fun. Uh, We are going to be talking about play and story and process, and and I'm very excited about that. Um, We we spend a lot of time talking about storytelling, and we're very serious about it. Um, So I have a guest today who specializes in talking about story and play, and we're going to um, delve into why why play is important for story and uh, where it fits and how to use it and and all sorts of stuff. We're just going to have some fun with it. So before we do that, though, I wanted to um, thank my guest from um, uh, last time. So uh, we were able to, oh my goodness. So we talked about content marketing. It was Omar and Katan, and we talked about content marketing and about getting really clear about your messaging and why you're using your content and how you're, um, it's very different from content strategy. So it's content marketing is all about results. Now, how that fits with story is your story is often your overall story and your smaller stories, kind of not your smaller stories, all your stories of you know, the ones that we talk about sometimes are back pocket stories. They support the bigger brand story. So that's a really great show that you can uh, listen to on the Story Powered On Demand um, site. And uh, obviously, we don't want you to do that yet because you want to stay and hang out with us and talk about play today. So uh, the reason why I was a little stuck is because I remember that last week uh, we had a replay uh, I wasn't here last week, so that's why I was a little confused with myself. Um, so I also encourage you to check out the replay, and it was Beyond the Final Frontier, and it was Ari Popper and Jeff Munt. Um, Ari is from Sci Futures, and Jeff Munt is from Hershey, and they were talking about using science fiction in creating future planning for organizations. And Jeff Munt, um, so we had science fiction, and then Jeff Munt talked about 3D printing of chocolate so that was an awesome show so that's also on the story powered on demand library and i i recommend you uh check that out too so stay here with us though so i want to tell you a little bit about obviously i want to update you on uh, the story powered institute the online story community that you can find at storypowered.institute this week our story fans who are our uh, paid members this week are and going to be enjoying a book club with claire taylor 
Um, we're going to be talking about the Tao of storytelling. Claire, she's uh, someone who's been a guest on our show previously, and I, I love Claire. She comes from the experiential personal storytelling approach, and um, she's always great fun to talk to. Um, but in the next couple of weeks, there will also be, I'm doing a workshop, which is Being Vulnerable Without Being a Victim. It's on December 14th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. And basically, I get that question a lot from people. How I'm supposed to be vulnerable. How can I be vulnerable and have people take me seriously and still be seen to have expertise? And so we're going to be covering that. We're also going to be delving into story and thinking about, you know, what elements in a story help share your vulnerability, uh, but what structure of the story helps you move past that to a place where you're helping others. So that's going to be a really fun workshop. So if you want to find out more about that, you can go to storypower.institute and go to the salon because that's where we hold all our events. So look forward to seeing you there. Check it out. If you're not a, a story fan on the site, you can become a story friend for free and, uh, or, and or just join the workshop. It's only 20 bucks. So we'll see you there. Okay, so moving on to our show today, we're talking to Dr. Kevin Cordy um, about play. So Kevin traverses around the country and the world, reminding others that there is rich value in play. His work has been modeled in schools and storytelling organizations around the country. He's been a gas station attendant, grill cook, door-to-door salesperson, and a busboy. All of this has helped him want to be involved in play more. Whether he's working with a teenager to mix a fairy tale, listening to a whole company to tell their story of their business better, or performing for a crowd of a thousand, he uses play because this is where the true work is found in story crafting. Kevin has written a couple books. One is called Playing with Stories, Story Crafting for Writers, Teachers, Storytellers, and Other Imaginative Thinkers. And he's also co-authored with Judy Sima, Raising Voices, Creating Youth Storytelling Troops and Groups. Kevin, welcome to Story Powered. It's great to be here. I'm in such a wonderful company. So nice. We're going to have a good chat today. Thank you. Now, sure. tell us your story. Tell us a bit about you and uh, where you started and, and where you ended up now. You, you sound like you've done a lot in your time. <laughs> well, that story changes over time. Uh, right. You know, uh, when someone says, what's your story, you think about, you know, what do you want to tell most? Um, and I want to think, then um, I started storytelling, uh, learning storytelling when I was 18 years old uh, at Kent State University. But even before that, my parents are from West Virginia, and they would sit me on a dilapidated old couch with my five brothers and sisters and say, you're not getting up until you hear this story. And we only visited West Virginia, so I thought the only places in, in the world were Ohio and West Virginia, because those were the ones that we told stories about. Um, but I, then when I was at Kent State University, there was a storytelling conference, and I was 18 years old, and I watched, uh, since I was 18, 40 and 50 and 60-year-old, I called them the ancient people back then, you know. <laughs> um, I remember that, but, that time. There you go. And and they changed their whole demeanor. You know, I watched Bat Burns from Ireland tell stories, and then they were there for a week. Rebecca Hill was an Appalachian clog dancer, and they made such an impression on me. I was actually there as a journalist to, to cover it for 10 minutes, but I told my editor, there's something here, I have to stay. And I convinced them for the entire week, and I was hooked, mesmerized. It was so much different than my parents telling stories. I watched people change. And as you would say, uh, the power of story uh, affected 300 people who were not only listeners, but tellers. But here's the other part of that story. They went away. And for a year and a half, I had the storytelling bug, but I had nowhere to find it. 
And so I trained under, uh, I had to drive an hour and a half in Cleveland after a year and a half and uh, trained with older people than I was. There were very few young tellers. And actually, this is over 25 years ago. And on the national circuit, I was one of the few that were telling at 18, 19, and 20 years old. Uh, but that's changed. We're in the middle of a story explosion. And so I became the first full-time high school storytelling teacher in the country. Um, I also uh, started the Youth Educator Storytellers uh, Special Interest Group with the National Storytelling Network and served as the Executive Director for the National Youth Storytelling Olympics. But I've also seen story work with adults, uh, and I've traveled 40 states, England, Japan. But instead of giving you a laundry list, I just want to say that over the years, I've learned that storytelling is more than just the performance. It's also the making. And so yeah. combine those two or even look at them separately. The integral thing that they have is play. And so I got my doctorate in, in storytelling and story making training with people like Brian Edmondson, who does dramatic inquiry at Ohio State. And really examine, both from an academic, personal, cultural, and contextual level, in what way are we always in the process of making story? Long answer to a short question. <laughs> I love it. Nice, nice. Now tell me, okay, so, um, so I'm obsessed with story too, and so I can probably imagine it, but I'm wondering about, you know, a high school storytelling teacher. So that's a lot of time to fill in terms of working <laughs> with youth. Um, and, I, and I love working with youth too. And this is why I'm really intrigued because I, I just love the idea of, of spending time with young people and helping them tell stories. So what, what did you do as a teacher? Like what kinds of things did you, did you do with the young people? And um, what did you think of it? Like how did you, how did you feel sure. about your work? I initially um, uh, had a storytelling club or troupe and we met for five to 25 hours after school for no credit at all. And I had a student, um, Maggie, who came up, and I gave her an assignment. And I said, you know, find someone that has asked for your story um, in your classes, thinking it was very easy. She came back to me. She was an honor student. She was red-faced. And she said, I can't do the assignment. No one has asked me my story in two weeks. Oh, no. And I went to the principal and I said, you know, this is a problem. And she said, we'll have a meeting on that. And that meeting never came. And so our place became a very special space that opened to story. Sure, we told folk tales and fairy tales, but we also told about our bad days. Myla came in. She had Down syndrome. She would tell a story about finding a boyfriend every time. And slowly, a community began to build, and she began to get the courage as a result of everybody listening to her story to ask someone to go out with her, and she did. I remember, uh, I remember Chris Hughes. He was blind and had um, memory retention problems, and um, he told his story, and it was called Blind Date, <laughs> and he'd never been on a date and as a result of that story, two weeks later, he had his first date. Uh, and, you oh, know, it's a, awesome. It's yeah. a matter of connecting. So we started with the storytelling and storytelling troupe. Um, and actually, we, I did this in two schools. And when I wrote Voices Across, uh, Raising Voices, we registered 183 youth storytelling groups across the country, Canada and Japan. Um, and so then it became a storytelling class. And... Um, 
you know, when I came into the school, they said, when I got there after I signed the contract, we're, we're going to have you do that storytelling thing after school. Well, I had three job offers, but only one that wanted me to teach storytelling during the day. So I said, well, if you, you know, I've got a master's at that time. I had a master's in storytelling and education. I know it works. If you're not willing to put it in the curriculum, then I'm not willing to come to your school. I guess I was a little bossy. Um, The first year we had 183 students in the class on a six-week rotating cycle. The second year, every freshman had to take that class. By the time I was done with my ninth year, there was a storytelling uh, class, either an advanced storytelling beginning class, um, rapid read using oral language and storytelling. Every class that I taught was storytelling related because narrative is the best way for us to communicate. I, I had a traveling troupe. We did 50 shows a year. I never auditioned my students. And then adults became more aware of the inherent value of storytelling. And so working in the schools there was no curriculum. I had to create curriculum by going mm-hmm. to see storytellers, meet with storytellers. Imagine having a curriculum for every hour of the day when my last year on story. <laughs> well, that's kind of where I started because I was thinking, wow, that's a lot of time to have to create yourself because you don't, you know, you're not handed that curriculum. Um, so good for you and amazing growth. So I, that's very exciting to hear. One thing I did want to ask you because I, I worked with youth for a long time in mental health and uh, I think I told you, but I might not have, um, that I use play a lot um, with the younger folks that I, I worked with, the um, the kind of person-centered counseling uh, approach didn't work with younger people, especially young people who had been traumatized. So we often use play and story to enable them to kind of share stories without it being too um, exposing for them. And what I saw in that work is the confidence to be able to then morph over and tell their own stories. So I really resonated with what you just said about young people. And I'm just wondering, like, I, I bet you saw in that school a huge surge in confidence in the young people that you worked with, both personally and also in terms of being in front of a room? Teachers would tell me that um, I know your students because they're the first to respond. They're the first to go up. (laughs) They're not afraid. Here's the thing. We teach children and young adults, and dare I say adults, to fear public speaking because we make it sound like it's something harmful. Lance Henson, a Cheyenne Native American storyteller, once said to me, stories are gifts. It's up to us to take them and receive them. When Mm -hmm. parents look over and say, you are so brave to say those words on stage or elsewhere, they're creating a sense of fear. Instead, we should change the mindset of giving a story as giving a gift. And that's what I tell them. And when I talk about the makeup of a story, I say you have to see the audience for who they are. Don't rush your start. And look in your head. Look at position A to the left, center, and right, and say, I have a gift to you in your head. And say, Mm. I want you to accept it. And we need to change the tone that public speaking and storytelling is something to be feared. We, we, We offset the beauty of constructing meaning when we don't use play in the classroom or in our businesses. Um, and we tell people, okay, who's brave enough to, you know, to, to offer the first idea? Or I'll give you extra credit if you, you, you start this first. I'm sorry. 
our classroom should be a communicative place where we can argue, digress, and there's no better place to do that inside the world of play, um, both for uh, the school environment and for the business environment. I travel around the country, and I work with uh, um, all kinds of people. I was in the Middle East last year um, just reinforcing the idea that play is the true work that we do and that this lifts us as speakers to see the gifts that we have. I love it. And I love the concept of the gift. And again, you know, again, we, we, you know, when those of us working in story, we always try and remind people we've been telling stories for a very long time. Um, so even though I did, you know, and I have to say that I was thinking about the my intro and to the radio show. And when I first started, I thought of it as a superpower, but I, I always think of it as a human superpower because we already have it. It's not something we need to learn. But what strikes me and what you're, you're talking about is we, we kill the play and the story in people <laughs> as they grow up because right. we, you know, similarly with youth and in business, um, we tell people not to be, not to speak until they've been, they're spoken to. Um, we give a hierarchy of, like you say, it's, it's kind of like there's a hierarchy of skills in terms of public speaking, but also in terms of contribution. Um, but that's why I and love, we, you know, the play. It's collaborative. It's, it's, you can't play and have a hierarchy involved. Exactly. And, and the time that we uh, ask people to speak is when they have something completed or finished. Right. I go around the country coaching people. I, I don't use the word coach. I use the word mediation. Um, yeah. Vygotsky said that in problem-based play, this was with children, but dare I say with adults as well, um, people are, quote-unquote, a head taller in their learning because they're working on the problem together. And yes. so if you think about play, it is a place um, I go around helping people with stories that are not ready so that they can play in the world. I call it word dancing. So they can word dance in the world that they're creating before they ever cement or handcuff it on paper. I believe in writing. Don't get me wrong. I'm a co-director for the writing project for the Ohio State University. Um, but at the same time, it's not the only way to find ideas. You can word dance. Um, but first you have to have a deep listening partner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in that recent book that I've written, I think I tell them 12 ways to listen. Listen to this story just for the way the sounds are. Listen to this story for the color or the texture or the tone. Or listen to how I work the ending. Instead of simply saying to someone, I want you to listen, tell them in what way you want them to listen. And having a deep listening partner is the first step to engaging in the real work of play. I completely agree. And you've actually just identified the one skill that we are um, slowly eroding, which is listening. And, and again, you know, we, you know, that's the part about the public speaking bit. It's kind of the important person in the room is the one at the front talking. Um, and generally, it isn't that person. It's, it's the, you know, five to 500 people sitting and listening because they get to control whether they stay or not or how they're going to um, experience it. So you're totally right. I love and I love the concept of the deep listener. That's that's amazing. So let me just ask you, we've got, a, we've got about a minute to break. It's going fast already. Always does sure. when I'm having fun. Um, where are you now? Because I, I know you're, you, you were a storytelling teacher and you do travel and, and do storytelling workshops, but you're also teaching still, right? 
Sure. Thank you for the question. I'm, I'm uh, an assistant professor at Ohio Northern University where I teach literacy, social studies methods. I teach, teach teachers how to teach. But my classroom emphasizes community over curriculum. And then I'm a co-director at Ohio State for the writing project. Uh, and then I also serve as a national consultant with the National Storytelling Network, helping people find the story that is hidden within themselves or the story within their business. Some people think we have to tell one universal story, mm-hmm. and they call that brand but there are many ways to to work through a story and find other ways to brand the story beyond the one story. Completely agree. And there's all levels of organizations where stories live and finding them. I think that was my big thing about when I started the radio show, because I started it as a learning tool, and I thought, well, how can I get really clever people to come and talk story with me? And I thought, <laughs> hey, a radio show, that makes sense. <laughs> I'm not sure what I was thinking there, but anyway, I decided to do it. It's a great idea. Right? And, you know, it was a it journey. It is a power. <laughs> it's Listening a total a power, power. And we have to remember, it's a practiced art. And yes. storytelling and story crafting is a practiced art. So we can't just say, tell me a story. We have to have coach or mediation or direction. And yes. your radio show provides multiple perspectives into looking at the value, nature, essence, and application of story. So thank you for creating that. Well, thank you. And I'm going to write that down because that's <laughs> the best way to put it for sure. <laughs> thank you, Kevin. That's really great. And it, and it is. It's an exploration. And I, I like to play too. This is my play area in terms of story. So, so we're just going to take a little break right now. We're going to come back and continue talking to Kevin. Uh, we're going to dig deeper into play. What does it mean? How does it apply to story? And um, we'll also hear more from Kevin about the how later on. So uh, don't forget to join me in my online story community, the Story Powered Institute, storypowered.institute. You can join for free. Come be my story friend. I want to hang out with you. Okay, Kevin and I will be back in just a second talking more about play. Can't wait. You'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Activate and grow your storytelling superpower with Leanne Pico of Very Good Stories. Stories inspire, stories engage, and stories move people to action. It's pretty powerful stuff. Story coach Leanne Pico will help you develop your storytelling skills to be a more effective leader, build a more powerful brand, or create a team of storytelling powerhouses. You can email Leanne at leanne at verygoodstories.com or check out her website at verygoodstories.com. Contact Leanne today to grow your storytelling superpower. Effective leadership is what will propel the world, organizations, and businesses through a range of dynamic changes. How do you keep up with these changes, build skills, and lead effectively? Listen for Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. Maureen offers tools and engaging guests who are leaders in their field. With each week, you'll work on and improve your skills to lead with confidence and drive your organization's success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more, old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. 
We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Story Powered with Leanne Pico. If you want to find out more about Leanne or the program, connect with us on the web at verygoodstories.com. Now, back to Story Powered. Hey there, welcome back. I'm Leanne Pico, and you're here with Story Powered. And today we're chatting with Kevin Cordy. Uh, I just wanted to let you know now where you can find Kevin. So if you're just anxious, because you like I was, I had to go find him quickly. Because anytime people talk about play and story together, I'm excited. So you can find Kevin at kevincordy.com. And you can also find him at permission2, as in the number 2, play.com. So check that out and check out, uh, Kevin's got a bunch of resources and information on both sites. Um, So we were talking before the break with Kevin about his experience, but also we started talking about play and its link with story and the process. Um, One of the things that uh, I remembered when uh, I was talking earlier about working with young people around mental health was the, the, it's kind of what Kevin was talking about. It's the co-creation. And one of the pieces for me around enabling people to share their story and especially hard stuff, but anytime is that they also get to co-create a new story. And so that's what I, I'm really attracted to um, Kevin's kind of, Uh, philosophy around story and around play and around story making and that the process is just as important as the end result if not more actually I think it's more because we find out about ourselves and about our organizations um, when we spend time there so um, but I wanted to ask you Kevin just can you tell us a little bit more and kind of define what you mean by play because you know I I used to make boards of directors play with Lego and all that stuff and um, <laughs> you. <laughs> you might you might be saying the same thing but but what do you mean when you say play well let's look at first what play is not um, some people see play as a rehearsal for life this is the way I'm going to prepare for what actually is that they limit play play is actually a place we can rewind re-energize review revisit and rethink and we can do it collaboratively and we can make mistakes um, yeah, the whole idea, um, Vivian Gustin Paley wrote a book, You Can't Say You Can't Play. Play is inherent in all that we do. Imagine being in a business meeting and saying, okay, we need to play with these ideas. Let's play out loud. Let's talk them out. But as you had them playing with Legos, um, the writers tend to just write. Uh, and then when they have writer's block, they stop writing. But if they used play, they would find different modalities for finding those ideas. I don't believe in writer's block. I, read, I believe in writer's stop, which means this mode is not working for me now. So maybe I'll go fingerprint, finger paint for a while or play with Legos or just talk to a neighbor or change the genre. Whereas I was trying to write this as a business brief, what if I wrote it as a letter and I said it to a friend? We need to explore all the avenues of play. Play isn't about certainty. 
play is not about exact truth. Play is about messing around with the real work. Socrates said that you can tell more about one person in a day of play than their entire life because mm-hmm. it is the real work that we do. It's the place where we can rethink re- about our idea. We can re-energize. And the, the thing is, we can have the company of others to work through play. Um, play can be dramatic. It can be out loud. Um, and it can, it, you can be in a business office and stop and say, all right, let's wrestle with a thousand different ways that we can come up with this concept or idea. And it might be they work in Tableau or all of a sudden, and it's not, it might sound silly, but they haven't done it. They haven't given themselves permission to play. And in well, what I've written is I give myself permission to play, to make mistakes, to take risks, to have fun, because I know I'm connected to story. So, Leanne, say right now, I give myself permission to play. Nice. I give myself permission to play. I there always do, though. I have to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I will tell you that I, and this is why, again, I um, loved being able to bring you on the show and, and to talk to you and getting to know you because I have often used play and I, and I, it's not that I inflict it, although I would joke about inflicting it um, in, in certain environments, but in, in a number of environments where um, I wanted people to get out of their own heads, you know, so in strategic planning or in, um, you know, particularly on boards of directors where youth were involved, they were also on the board. There are ways of kind of creating a more equal environment, equalized rather than equal it's still not equal but there's a there's a kind of a way of using play which is what I I agree with you this is in business it's so crucial there's a way of using it that enables everybody at the table to contribute and to not worry about making a mistake and and that's like sounds like almost uh, revolutionary right now in our very risk averse Everywhere, like it's schools are risk averse and businesses, everyone is so afraid of looking bad on Facebook. And they need to be Um, vulnerable. You know, when I was in in Japan, uh, I was in a room full of adults with ties. And uh, I said to someone, go get me a a glass of water. And they brought me a 32-ounce glass of water. And I told a a story that at the very end, I pour that 32-ounce glass of water on myself. I didn't know that he was going to bring me 32 ounces. And all these ties get loosened and people start to laugh. And you have to build community before curriculum or community, before the business agenda, you got to check in and see where people are. And, because you can't play if someone says, look, we have to do this the exact way on, you know, like a recipe. This goes next. This goes next. Play is about ex- exploration, discovery, and going places safely that you never thought about. Changing perspective. Looking Absolutely. so in Japan, they were all laughing, and by that time, you know, yeah. uh, uh, I was supposed to say good evening, friends, uh, tomodichi, and I made a mistake. I said, and this was for the vice minister of education of Japan, by the way, and a company of 900 people. I said, Kawabanga, tomodichi. Oh, you did not, <laughs> and it was silent, and then people laughed. And so I just, did, you know, I said, good evening, Ninja Turtle style. <laughs> but it is in those awesome. mistakes that we yeah. learn. It is an active rest and reflection that we learn. Whether we're a teacher, an educator, a storyteller, a story maker, a business person, 
a corporate leader, we have to be reminded on the rich value that play will take us, the direction that we want to go. Yeah, I agree. And not only do we learn, we invite others into the space to learn with us. Like I, I can like the fact that you, the ties loosened and people were laughing and people were laughing in the audience when you told that you know your when you gave your introduction, that enables immediately everybody to calm down. Exactly. Now, what we're not talking about, so I just want to get really clear though around play, because you know I've also seen it go badly when somebody <laughs> comes in dressed as a clown no. or they 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 think they're playing when in fact they're imposing some kind of their own sense of humor or something on people. So we're not talking about that, right? We're talking about a space where people can, like you said, try stuff out, make mistakes, do things differently. Um, I was in Arizona and this woman wanted to work on a story that she'd been writing. And later she told me for seven years. And I do a thing called ensemble storytelling where honestly, and it sounds a little um, different, but if you're telling a story, the 20 people that are watching are no longer audience members, but they become participants in the environment of the story. <laughs> and then I mediate that story in all different directions. So I remember she was talking about living in Los Alamos, New Mexico, and she, as a kid she was playing with radioactive fences. And she would not see them as dangerous. So all of these uh, participants who became, ob- observers became participants, started going, <laughs> and the, that enacted after we're doing two or three times she said wait a minute I do think that those fences were harmful we probably shouldn't have went under them but she's doing this in the fictional world we're not talking yeah. about it outside the fictional world no. but right. inside and at the end she came up to me and she said I've been working on that story for nine years I've been completely blocked but until we collaboratively played with it I now have my next direction and I think I can work toward publication Nice, nice. You know, and I think that applies together. to personal stories too, because again, they're not true, they're not factual, they're perception. Exactly. And so the idea of playing, and that's what I love about play therapy and, and um, kind of using it in, in a therapeutic way too, because it invites people to kind of go step back from their, their sad, bad, mad story and kind of think about creating a different ending or creating something new, but you have to approach it with a play perspective rather than a kind of... Um, too serious, right? Like it, the play perspective brings something entirely different. But again, that play perspective is work. So, but yes. at the same oh, time, yes. it's one that you agree to and you say, okay, we want to find out how best to bring our customer base. Well, let's play as though we're that customer base. Right. But I come yes. in and I That's mediate nice. and I say, oh, well, wait a minute. Uh, we have to move our entire location. You didn't prepare for that. But I brought it in through play. And every example, my wife's an improv comedian, and they have the philosophy of yes and. But imagine it as a directional decision-making device. You take everything. That person says, well, wait a minute. We don't have to locate, relocate. Uh, We're okay here because of this. Well, I take that. We build the play from that. But as a story mediator, not as a storyteller, I can take you in various directions, different rooms, different decisions, different degrees. Uh, There's a researcher, Lisa Capps and Eleanor Oaks, who says that narrative is about degrees and dimensions. So you can change what she calls tellability and tellership. Who owns the story? Who has the rights to tell it? In play, I can privilege you as, as the king of the world. Yeah, nice. But I could also. Yeah, I'm in, okay with that. 
<laughs> <laughs> and I can, I can use power differently. Yeah, and if you're that's... making critical decisions, I really question why you're not making these decisions using play. Because you get to explore multiple perspectives, multiple dimensions, and look at different ways of telling stories. And I think that would be the answer why a lot of people are uncomfortable with it. Because they're not ready for the multiple. You have to have a safety. You have to have someone that you have to trust the environment. And as a story mediator, my job is to build that community. You can't just look at someone and say, okay, we're going to play with ideas today. You're a frog, whatever. Um, We never, uh, in the work that I do, we don't assign roles. Uh, We create emergent uh, decision-making based on the reactions and actions of what people do. Um, well, to me, that's the, the, the story part. That's the co-creation of a story rather than a, acting out a play, right? Exactly. Like it's, it's kind of the point is because is, you're playing with the, t- the subject matter, but you're also playing with the playing and the kind of how to create story and there's no along audience. the way. There's no audience. Everyone's a participant. Yeah, nice. Nice. I love it. And I think for those folks who are listening who are story professionals, I think they could, you know, we could, we could all learn a lot from this because um, one of the things that I know for my clients sometimes is they want it, they just want to get to the end. They want to get to the story that they can tell so they can get more businesses or they can get their employees to listen or whatever. Um, and for me, I hold them back and do the exploration. And, and in fact, you know, they do enjoy the kind of thinking about working around because we may end up at, at an end result of a strategic story or some stories to tell to. And you have to take but, risk. You have to take, you have to. But that's the bit. They ha- that's right. So if they haven't taken any risks or tried stuff out, they're going to struggle telling it because they're not, it's not theirs and they're not feeling good about it. Whereas the play enables us to get rid of our kind of stuff and get, and get, I think it helps us get clearer in the end. And, yeah, and just because you've done it the same way for 10 years, 10 minutes, yeah, doesn't right. mean that you can't move a different direction through play. But again, yeah. it's safe risk because in the environment of play, you are allowed to laugh. You are allowed to cry. You are allowed to dream out loud. And you just have to be in that comfortable environment. And I'm a trained practitioner on how to build that environment. But I'm also trained on how to teach others to become play practitioners. I call them playas. You get to be a player. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Now, tell me, now, the other thing I wanted to ask you, though, is around, so we, we've kind of covered a little bit of it, but I'm just wondering, you know, currently in storytelling, in business storytelling, let's say, um, less so, you know, in terms of, you know, for people who are tellers, they're kind of holding on to the, you know, the, the kind of why we tell stories and the history of it. Sometimes in business storytelling, we're going the other way. We're, I feel like we're swimming at the shallow end a little bit. Um, and like you said, just because you create a story and then there's your brand, that's it. That's done. It's such a missed opportunity. So I'm wondering, like, for businesses, um, how would you, like, why is it important to use play in creating their stories, finding their stories, sharing their stories? In business. Uh, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. Does, does not your customer base change almost daily, weekly? Do you not move more social media? Do you not have different de- decisions and directions on how you're going to promote your business and your ideas? 
Well, play is about exploring all those dimensions safely. Imagine walking in and saying, okay, we've got this new product. How are we going to sell it? Okay, we've got this big marketing plan. We've got this branding plan. But you haven't played with the ideas. And I'm not just talking about test marketing. I'm talking about using the people that you actually have that are creating it, fostering it, sponsoring it, marketing it, and playing with the ideas. Someone says, okay, well, I'm going to be that irate customer, but, but it merges. <laughs> yeah. That person comes in. And in play, you can say, oh, this is how I respond in the fiction. You don't say, okay, I would respond this way. You just respond that way. You also look at the, the image and you say, okay, here's the product. What if I changed it this way? What if I made two of them together? What if I, um, what if I tried to put it over here? You get all kinds of reactions that are not rehearsed, yeah, and you can, you can learn a full working environment. Also, you learn how people's stories are already conceived of the product that they've never echoed, that they've never voiced, except in the business plan. Yeah, you need yeah. to play Word dance out loud so that you can feel the impact. I got news for you. We are a talking community before we are a written community. And when someone's interested in you, they're going to email you, but that's going to lead to a phone call, and you need to have the right words to play with the ideas that you're working with. Love it. Love it. That's so great. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit more about the how to do that and how to introduce it into our storytelling. We're going to have a little break now. But I wanted to remind you to, how to get Kevin's book because I'm, you know, you're, you're just going to want to delve into this stuff. I promise. So playing with stories, story crafting for writers, teachers, storytellers, and other imaginative thinkers. Um, Kevin wrote that in 2014. You can obviously get it on Amazon and all other booksellers. Um, but I highly recommend you, you check it out because um, it will improve your story development ideas and your own playing so like i say we're going to talk a little bit more about the how when we come back so join us after the break voice america business network the bottom line in business Activate and grow your storytelling superpower with Leanne Pico of Very Good Stories. Stories inspire, stories engage, and stories move people to action. It's pretty powerful stuff. Story coach Leanne Pico will help you develop your storytelling skills to be a more effective leader, build a more powerful brand, or create a team of storytelling powerhouses. You can email Leanne at leanne at verygoodstories.com or check out her website at verygoodstories.com. Contact Leanne today to grow your storytelling superpower. If you want to learn how to be a better leader, increase your level of business performance, and motivate your team and organization more effectively, listen for Performing at Your Best, Mindset Evolution with Luis Vicente Garcia. Luis Vicente and his guests will share their expertise and enthusiasm in helping you to succeed. It's combining that drive with business skills that will do just that. Tune in live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Story Powered with Leanne Pico. If you want to find out more about Leanne or the program, connect with us on the web at verygoodstories.com. Now, back to Story Powered. Hey, welcome back. I'm Leanne Pico, and you're with Story Powered. And today I am chatting with Kevin Cordy. We're having a great chat. It's going by too fast, as always. Um, but we were talking just before the break about um, why, what, what, what Kevin means by playing what we're why is it important in story? And, and just wanted to reiterate um, some of the stuff that we talked about, which is the, the purpose of play is to expand and to open up a space for people to try stuff out, make mistakes, learn something new, hear each other. It's, all, it's a very co-creative space. So that's why we're talking about it in different environments. So we've got schools and businesses. And my goodness, wouldn't it be interesting in government? Imagine that. Maybe they could <laughs> solve some of the problems that we're facing in the world. Um, but what we want to do now is to focus a little bit on the how and um, it, it, we're not going to really focus uh, on techniques on the how. Um, one of the things that uh, Kevin and I agree on and we talked about a bit in the break too is is we focus so much on the telling and really the telling is just the last bit and it changes. It should change anyway. Your story will change or your stories will change as you evolve. So we're going to focus now on the how of bringing play into storytelling talking about it in a around meaning making and story making. So Kevin, in terms of like when we're approaching story and we're approaching play, um, so whether we're kind of our end goal is to get a story or a number of stories, whatever, tell us about the process and why it's so important to spend time in that kind of story making mode. So I have to start with a confession. I was raised on traditional storytelling, and the privileged outcome was the telling. Right. And so over many years of working and studying story as a meaning-making process, as a co-constructive art, as a discipline for understanding ideas, I have learned that I don't always have to have telling. Uh, Richard Bauman says that there's a performative quality in the making of all stories. And so sometimes we want to engage Actually, more often, we, we don't want to necessarily work on just working toward a telling performance or a presentation. We want to look at what's happening when we're using stories to make meaning. I say there's three things primarily uh, for the story is used for. Story for community, story for curriculum or idea uh, uh, design, and story for inquiry. So if we look mm-hmm. at stories for inquiry, asking questions for which we don't know the answers already, and we think, okay, I'm working on this story. In the making process, 
how do I include other storytellers while I'm creating this story? There are too many. I've been to guilds. I've been to programs. There are too many places that the only time that they share their story is when the story's ready. And if the, any ideas that they get afterwards, they get this. That was a good story. They don't get any constructive <laughs> thing about the story while it's in process. And yep. we need to think about those small water cooler conversations and how we're making stories there, too. Because if we're looking for stories for ideas and stories for inquiry, we're not necessarily looking for polished stories. There's also this misnomer that all stories must have a beginning, middle, and end. Sometimes the best stories start in the middle. There's a lot of difference between Little Red Riding Hood and Little Red Riding in the Hood, my students <laughs> created. Um, and, you know, and sometimes you just want to stay with one single moment and you say, oh, my God, that's really great in that story where you are uh, showing agency by raising your voice over your boss or your mother. Why can't we stay with that one moment and work in the meaning of that instead of looking at story as a complete beginning, middle, and end, because we can make it more. And when we bring more players in, when we bring people in to listen to the making process and to co-create with us, then we have multiple choices and directions for the tellable performance if that is the outcome that we want. Nice, nice. And I think, you know, you, you talked about something there, well, lots of things that I, I absolutely agree with, but the one piece that I feel is missing in organizations these days is that creation of community. And so creating, partly creating that safe space, but also, like you say, the kind of creating the story together. Because, um, you know, I've seen it too often that the story's farmed out to the communications guy, um, you know, and then you know, it doesn't resonate with people or it doesn't resonate with the organization and, and it's almost lost its purpose. And that's why, you know, I I agree with you that it's, um, we need to be careful of telling the stories being the end only goal and um, always the end goal. Now, one of the things that I thought I was thinking about when you were talking about that too was I was thinking about when I was working with young people um, and I was kind of enabling young people to have a say in policy development and um, and with government. And so what we would do is we would, kind of work together to create their story, their joint story. It might be about poverty or it might be about their lives living in a gang area or whatever it was. And they would kind of work on that. And it was incredible to watch them deliver whatever it was that they wanted to with government. But the most beautiful part was the time in between when they would spend time together sharing their individual stories to create a bigger story that they were going to share. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people can go, yeah, but what's that got to do with business? And I just think, like, the the solidarity that gets created when you're story making and, and, and elevating meaning and creating meaning or citing your meaning and bringing it together, it's huge. It's huge. And I can imagine, like, wow, what business places would look like if we spent time doing this. Well, if you also take the meaning-making process and you truly execute or, or move play inside then there's no role differentiation. There's no hierarchy. It's just a group that wants to play, and they play with the ideas. That's in the ideal. Of course, you know, if you're not comfortable with your boss and and that boss hasn't created a space for discord and and ideas and and created a play-based community, you might have some restriction. But I say... Work every day to make it a playful environment. My gosh. I mean, yeah. if, if, 
you know, all the research in the world is saying if you enjoy where you are, you're going to do better at what you do. But now imagine it being a place you enjoy where you are, where you can tell the story to help create more of what you do. I agree. I agree. And then, you know, the other piece is around the playing with the modalities. Like you say, it's enabling play to come in. Because, again, I was just thinking about, so to take my kind of story to the end, you know, there was, it was extremely fun watching young people rapping in the House of Commons. And I guarantee those MPs remembered those young people because they put a rap together rather than sitting and reading their story carefully. They had a, a different ways of, of telling their stories. They so got to create their design. Exactly. They completely did. It was fabulous. And so again, and in the work environment, it's amazing. I agree. And a business can do that too. Now, here's the deal. What you do in play doesn't have to be the product you make. No, but no, imagine absolutely. you creating a rap for what you're trying to uh, sell, promote, advertise, or persuade, and then you get some key words out of that rap mm-hmm. that you yep. use for your national campaign. Absolutely. Imagine you changing your whole conversation as though everyone in the room is a parent to the product that you're making or is at the same time a stakeholder. And, and, they, and here's the other thing that works with story making. Jerome Bruner said, trouble is the engine of narrative. We often think that story-based, the story meaning process comes from plot. It actually comes from trouble. Well, the more you instigate trouble where you have a problem, the more powerful your play is and the more powerful the product from your play comes. So, for example, there's internal and external trouble. If you're working on creating a new design and all of a sudden in play you you create a a place where it breaks easily, you now got to deal with that, right? That's right. And the story mediator says, okay, yeah, you use superglue, but now it's a type of glue that uh, kids are allergic to and you can't sell yeah. it. You've got to either change your market or find something else. And oh, yeah. That'd and be you fun. keep instigating yeah. the trouble inside yeah. the fiction. Yeah. When you're talking about something, you're not as pl- personally connected to it. The, last, the other thing, we've all seen boring PowerPoints, right? Mm-hmm. But if we see a, a presentation that's based, that comes from play, and they've got images on a screen, they help move a conversation as opposed to present information. Yes, so we nice. need to do more things that move a conversation, and we can get that through the story-making process because we've explored other ways to uh, look at it, present it, decide on it, make an opinion on it, judge it, evaluate it, or change it. Nice. And I'm going to guess that the energy in that end product is hugely different when you're using play to co-create and build and create meaning than when you write something and let everybody kill it so here's with the wordsmithing. Idea. We tell adults, we tell kids, we tell students, we say, okay, I want you all to come back next week on this idea. Uh, we give them an isolated desk and we say, go create. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Me. That's you right. need to play in the world you create before you submit it on paper because often whatever you put on paper becomes the script that you make every design from. You don't deviate, and if you deviate, it's a 10% margin. But if you play in the world you create, 
with others preferably, you're going to have a myriad of choices. Then you go to the writing table or the computer and you have all this breadth and depth of play and exploration and discovery to form the ideas you want on paper. Don't go soon to rush to that quiet desk to create. Now, some people, that's their method, but it shouldn't be the only method. We no, need and to then if it, it is your method, you can still play with writing. Oh, very much so. Right? You don't have to go straight to the hard edit. Yeah, stop at a midpoint and say, okay, I want to look at seven different ways that I can say this paragraph. Or I want to look at a new voice that I could put in that would be a dissenting voice to this. Or, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I'm going to start with the ending of what I want to say and work my way up to the beginning. Or I'm going to trouble what I'm writing. I'm going to find three trouble points. One of the exercises in the book I call Explode the Moment. And so you're working with a partner, they're telling a story, but the other person, you're like this, has story power. So they move their finger, and when they move it up, they explode the moment of the story. They build it it and build it. They don't make it louder, they just make it more significant. And then the second part of that is diffuse the moment. So they make it smaller, and then they can, you know, you constantly... Uh, work together to find new ways to work through the story. That's one of the exercises. There's a lot of exercises on how to play with your story. Absolutely love it. And again, you know, that's the the piece around, you know, story is it is so rich and there's so many ways of using it. And like you said, sometimes it's an end product, but mostly, and again, you know, I say this here a lot, that people are already telling stories. They're already creating meaning about your business, about your organization, about your school, wherever you are. People are already telling stories. So, you know, introducing ways to play with those stories. And sometimes it can sort out, you know, big, long-held differences. Sometimes it can troubleshoot things that are coming ahead. So, and also it's fun. Like, who doesn't want to go to work and and play a little bit? Um, (laughs) You know, I know it's crazy. We're supposed to all be factory industrial workers these days but no we're uh, not supposed to be we're not we're not we're human to that we're we're in a brave new way of looking we don't need to be assembly line people i mean we need to be innovators and thinkers and designers because we are we are working without borders and we need bigger landscapes for our thinking and designing out loud as well as in print as well as social media but you know i think the very first thing that i would start with is deep listening find those build build your your company with deep listeners and then work to build play it's not a one-time thing it is a practiced art it is a practiced science it's a practiced design and it is a proven pedagogy for learning absolutely thank you kevin that's amazing that's exactly it we always need to start with listening so just um remember everybody wanted to remind you that you can get um kevin's book playing with stories story crafting for writers teachers storytellers and other imaginative thinkers and also the other book that he co-authored with judy sima is raising voices creating youth storytelling troops and groups so both books will offer you some ideas around um, how to how to put into practice some of the things we've talked about today with Kevin. Um, And you can uh, check out Kevin's information resources and and all about him at kevincordy.com and also at permissiontoplay.com. And that's with the number two, permissiontoplay.com. Kevin, thank you so much for being here today. 
Uh, it is great to be a guest and to be part of that superhuman power. And I so appreciate that you're supporting all the network, both of storytellers and listeners. So I will share your power that you create in this network. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, you know, it's such an amazing network. It's, it's uh, one of the, you know, it's, it's so fun to be able to hang out with people who are thinking out loud. So thank you. Now, just Play to remind on. next. <laughs> absolutely. Play on. Exactly. So next week, um, I have the privilege of hanging out with Mary Alice Arthur who is a very well-known story person, and she um, is in Europe at the moment and traveling around. Um, But we're going to be talking about story harvesting. So kind of uh, building on what we've talked about today with Kevin is is how do you find your stories? But it's it's more than how do you find your stories. It's creating processes for finding stories together and and digging up the stories in your organization. And it's uh, Mary Alice is well known for this work and, and she's going to share some of the how to do that, but also why it's important for your organizational development. It's not just, again, it's not just about the end goal. It's about process and, and finding meaning in the stories that are already there. So, and just a reminder that uh, you can come and join me at the Story Powered Institute. I'd love you to come and hang out with me. Be my story friend. It's all free. You can be a paid member, but you know what? Let's be friends first, eh? So storypower.institute. Come hang out. I'll be doing my story coaching clinic in a couple weeks on uh, being vulnerable without being a victim. So look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you again from me, Leon Pico, and thank you for joining us on Story Powered. I will see you next week with more story. Thank you for joining us this week for Story Powered. Leanne Pico invites you to tune in for another engaging program next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll help take your story and your business to the next level. 